All right, are we all ready? Now I gotta remember what I say. <laughs> Extremely very special episode of HR Wonder Women. Um, Anna and I were supposed to do this at Work Human in San Antonio, uh, May 2020. Um, mm. And unfortunately, the world had other plans, apparently. <laughs> Those are just a small thing, but uh, you know, we're all in the midst of uh, COVID 19. Um, Work Human has postponed their event to 2021. Um, so apparently we're gonna be really busy in 2021, going to all sorts of events. Um, but we thought it would be fantastic to bring these ladies together and do our panel anyway, because we have the technology, we might as well do it. And selfishly, I wanted to chat with these ladies anyway. <laughs> so, Anne, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, Wendy. I am doing great getting to see all of your faces on the screen. Um, I think I'm getting zoomed out from my day job, but this is, this is not that. This is so great to see everybody. Yeah, everybody's. it's different. <laughs> when it's this is different. Much better. Yeah. Yes, Zoom fatigue is real. It is so real. Um, I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but yeah, the last few calls, I'm like, I'm just going to keep my video off. <laughs> and I was just zoom bombed yesterday for the first time oh, are you okay? and it was horrific and pretty violating yeah and I wow. can see how there's oh. a lot of discussion around that that's uh yeah, yeah. it oh, never so ceases to amaze me the yeah. fact that people have so little going on in their lives Right. They need mm -hmm. to take time to terrorize other people. Like, you must be a very miserable person. <laughs> You'd yeah. have to be. Yep. You'd yep. have to be. Oh, my. Yeah. I, yeah. Crazy. So, fingers crossed that our recording doesn't end up with that. But then there's the magic of editing, too, right? So, well. <laughs> or that if it happens, even that more necessary to talk about it and shed light on it. Because what right. it's really doing is, quite frankly, traumatizing people of color. Yeah. It's loaded bombing. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to interrupt your video. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's this like is not like a ding dong pointed. ditch at a 10 no. years old. No, no, this is more serious. Oh, well, mm. Lena, I am so sorry that that happened to you. Um, it's, it's horrible. It, it, it's horrible that, you know, people are finding ways to mess up a good thing, which I guess that's kind of a human thing, unfortunately. But, so anyway, we are here today with Sarah Morgan, Elena Valentine, and Tamara Raspberry. And like I said, we were so excited that we were going to be able to talk with them at Work Human and hang out with them at Work Human because they were going to be there. That was like, <laughs> yay, we can talk, but we get to hang out. Um, so next best thing here. So Anne, I'm going to let you introduce our guests before we jump in to more great conversation because, you know, we'll, we'll probably go for We could go for hours and hours, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that we could. I'm sure that we could um, with these great women. Uh, I am reading introductions. I just went by alphabetical order by first name because there's no way to prioritize. Every one of them is fantastic. Um, 
So let me get going. Uh, Elena Valentine is an expert in leveraging video stories in the workplace. With the motto, you cannot be what you cannot see, Elena started filming jobs as a way to get young people excited about the world of work. Since then, her team at Skill Scout has since built a world-class media company. Their films have helped clients like Nike and American Airlines engage candidates and employees alike. She was recently named HR Superhero of the Year, how apropos, by Disrupt HR Chicago. She is also the co-founder of Mezcla Media Collective, a nonprofit that elevates women filmmakers of color. And next up for Elena and her team is the Humans at Work documentary series that shares stories of people who find passion and meaning in their work. Sarah Morgan has been a practicing HR executive for 20 years. She's currently the Chief Excellence Officer of Buzzarooney LLC, where she provides consulting and coaching surrounding inclusive and equitable organizational culture and practical people-centric leadership. Sarah still also serves as an active HR practitioner as the Group Director of Human Resources for a national retail service organization headquartered outside Durham, North Carolina. In 2011, Sarah burst onto the social media scene under the pen name Buzz Rooney with her blog, The Buzz on HR. Nine years later, the pen name is gone, but her blog is still going strong with over 10,000 readers each month. Sarah is the creator and curator of the Black Blogs Matter and Black Pods Matter hashtag movements. She's also the creator and host of the Leading in Color podcast, a show centering on cultivating positive workplace experiences through diversity, inclusion, and social consciousness. She's amassed more than 25,000 followers across LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And Sarah has been named the best HR practitioner blogs, the top women in HR tech, and the global voices of HR lists for consecutive years. And then we have Tamara Raspberry, Sherm CP, PHR, currently serving as the HR manager department of one for a national nonprofit organization based in Washington, DC. Her nearly 20 years in the HR field have included in-house and consulting roles for nonprofit organizations of all sizes in the DC metro area. Tamara also heads Raspberry Consulting LLC, an HR consulting firm specializing in developing strategies for inclusion, diversity, and equity with a focus on addressing mental health in the workplace. Tamara is an active member of the Society for Human Resource Management and holds the SHRM Inclusive Workplace Culture Specialty Credential. She's also a member of the National Diversity Council and is passionate about going beyond representational diversity to creating inclusive and psychologically safe workplaces that put people first while still reaching strategic goals. Tamara's thoughts on mental health and diversity and inclusion have been sought and shared by multiple mainstream media outlets, outlets including Forbes, Sherm HR <coughs> Magazine, WorkHuman Radio, and the New York Times. Welcome all of you. Yes. Ashton, wow. Yay. To share with. Yes. All this so, badassery. Yes. <laughs> I know. This is surrounded. It's amazing. Yes. It's awesome. This is so awesome. Um, so I want to take just a minute and say, you know, the goal of our HR Wonder Woman podcast has been to share voices of historically underrepresented women and encourage leaders and specifically HR leaders as they face the challenges of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work. This work is not just for that leadership. It is for all leaders and all HR professionals. And I want to emphasize that because this is not work that needs to be siloed. It is across the board for everybody. The goal of DEBI isn't just one or two women or historically underrepresented women on your leadership team, but the goal is better humanity. And I am calling out Torin Ellis because I'm sure I read that on, I think it was Twitter or on his podcast <laughs> that he mentioned that and like, yes. I, <laughs> It's probably in my car um, with that. So we have got an excellent conversation 
today. I'm so, so excited about this. So we're going to get into it. But first thing we always do, we always identify ourselves because by us identifying who we are, naming our privilege makes it a safer place for everyone to, uh, to identify that way. So uh, I will start. I am Wendy. I am white, married, straight, side gender, uh, Christian, uh, and we say non-disabled, correct? Okay, I want to make yep. sure I get that yep. right. I want to make sure that I get that right. Um, and, and as we kind of say, if you name, name the privilege, I probably have it. So how about you, Ann? Oh, and my pronouns. My pronouns are she and her. <laughs> I always forget that one. Uh, yeah, my pronouns are also she, her. Uh, I am a straight, cisgender, uh, white woman um, with a lot of um, middle class privilege as well. Uh, and I think, you know, to Wendy's point, it's important that we name our, that we, that we share our identities. Um, partly there's just like naming those identities makes it easier for everybody to start naming and, and really sharing who they are. And I also think that it's important to talk about like the lens that we see the world through, because if you don't name it, you're still seeing the world through that lens, but if you don't name it, then you can't recognize it. And I, um, I, I don't want to only see the world through the lens of the privilege that I carry. I want to be able to see the world much more. I want to see the real world, um, the whole world. And you can't do that if you don't recognize, you know, who you are. Um, so those are my identities, um, especially for the purpose of the conversation that we're getting ready to have. Um, and so we're going to jump into the first question, which is your identities. Uh, we know that intersectionality matters. It's the reason we do the podcast. And we all have many ways that we identify um, and different parts of our identity matter more in some spaces than others. So when, when thinking about this conversation, how do you identify and what are your pronouns? Any one of you can take it away. I'll go. Um, so I am Sarah. This is Sarah. Are we doing this video and audio? Y'all can edit me out. <laughs> yeah, we're doing both. Um, okay. Yeah. We're supposed to be up front on it. We were supposed to be up on a stage anyway. So. Yeah. So. Um, I said that up front. Yeah. My. Um, <laughs> Y'all look good. Y'all pronouns look are, It's fine. My pronouns are she and her. I am a cis hetero black woman. I am a Christian. I am very fair skinned. I have advanced education. I am over 40, though I don't look it. Um, I have made my way to the middle class, which took a long time. I am intermittently abled. Um, I'm a Gen X Xenial. I'm also part of the sandwich generation as I have kids and I have older people, my, my mother and my grandmother who I help care for. I am a remarried mother of two with three bonus children. Those are all my identities. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I'll go next. This is Tamara. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am a black, um, cisgender, heterosexual female. Um, I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. I am in my mid-40s, um, single, never been married. Um, what else am I? I'm an introvert. I am impatient. <laughs> um, 
when I think about my identity, I think for the, but like Anne said, for the purpose of this conversation, I think being a black female are the top two that we probably talk about the most when we talk about workspace, workplace issues. And this is Elena. My pronouns are she and her. And in particular for this conversation, um, I identify um, cisgender, heterosexual. Um, I do identify as a woman of color, uh, but recognize that I am white passing um, and come with uh, economic privilege and advanced education. I'll just end there. That's, you know, it, it's amazing when you have to stop and think how you identify. Um, thinking of all those different identities that, that come around um, with, with who we are and how it frames our conversation. Um, so as we, we think about the current climate of organizational culture and DEIB work, where do you see the focus for 2020 organizations committed to developing and increasing their commitment to attracting, hiring, developing, and retaining diverse talent and building inclusive cultures? especially given the way that a global pandemic has affected everything, all of our plans? I think that's an excellent question because I really feel that the pandemic has caused a lot of organizations to kind of rethink the strategies that they were using previously, um, both for hiring, but also for internal employment practices, because a lot of probably most organizations weren't ready for something like this. So whether it comes down to broadening the pool of people you reach out to for hiring or changing your hiring practices to be more open, like um, using video and other types of things that a lot of organizations weren't doing before, I think the pandemic has caused organizations to have to rethink how they were doing things before. And I think that it's an unfortunate reason, but I think it's a good thing because, you know, a lot of organizations are kind of slower to move until they have to move. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it, it really has given organizations an opportunity to look at like what's working, what's not working, what do we need to change. A lot of times we put projects on the back burner because there are more pressing things. You know, we think about doing video interviews. We think about our hiring practices. We think about all of those things, but it's not front of mind. Now, mm -hmm. this has created an opportunity for us to slow down and to look more, hopefully more intentionally at all of that. The other thing I would say is this, as we start to look at, because there are a lot of people that are on furlough mm -hmm. or who have taken salary reductions and things like that. I think as we start to bring people back to work, and reopen businesses is a wonderful opportunity to look at um, pay equity issues. Like now is a wonderful, like if you're bringing people back, can we bring people back on equitable playing fields? Um, as we start to bring people back off of furlough, can we make sure that, um, you know, we're reorienting them to the organization properly and, um, you know, making sure that we're taking steps to get them reengaged and reacclimated to working outside of their homes um, and what right. all that transition is gonna take. And then the last thing I really hope that we take opportunity to is the mental health piece. This is hard. People are grieving actual losses. Um, they are going, you know, just the, the effects of being inside of your house 
for weeks and weeks on end without, if you're someone who lives alone, you may not necessarily have anybody else, you know, around that really takes a toll on your mental. And so I hope Mm -hmm. we take the opportunity to address some of that um, on the back end of 2020. And as we start reopening businesses and inviting people back into the workplace. And I think I will add the pressures on if companies thought that they had pressure before the world is now watching, this is not just other HR folks watching or employees or candidates. The world is watching every Amazon move, whether that is good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are going to, we are going to take that with us as we move forward. That's the biggest thing that we're seeing even now for companies who have to furlough or lay off folks, they are having to think about it in such more of an intentional way because they have to very quickly think about this as the circle like, because mm-hmm. that, that, that is part of the employee experience. And for many hotel chains that might be rehiring these folks back, being let go is going to be a part of their mind and they have to do that as yep. humanely um, and uh, mm-hmm. with as much empathy as possible. Um, and so that's something that we're seeing, um, you know, so much from there. And I think to the point, uh, especially what Sarah was saying around, you know, we're, we're working from home. This is so different. We are now, again, companies are going to be pressured to, you know, again, we, we talk a lot about folks bringing their whole selves to work. Well, now work has come to our homes. To our, to so homes. our mm-hmm. children, our dogs, our dramas, our traumas mm-hmm. yeah. um, are all put in the spotlight um, and companies have to show such a level of empathy and understanding that you're now coming into our house. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this idea of bringing our whole selves to work um, has taken on a whole new meaning uh, as a result of this. And I think the, there will be lasting effects for it as well. For sure. I would tack on to that, that, in the same way that employers have to think about reacclimating people to go back into the office and how Sarah was saying how it's kind of traumatic for some people to have to be in the house all the time, like especially if they're alone, but it's also traumatic for some people to have to be in the house with the people they're in the house with. True. There's people who look forward to going to work as a respite and now they're stuck in the house with somebody they don't want to be around for eight hours mm-hmm. a day and it could be because of personality clash. It could be because of abuse. It could be because of anything. But those things are going to, you know, um, affect your mental health as well. So I definitely hope that going forward, employers who have made adjustments for the crisis don't stop when the crisis is over. Like we really have to increase our level of empathy and flexibility and you know all the things that they're doing now the allowing people to have flexible hours or work remotely you know those things should continue outside of a crisis because those are mm-hmm. things that people could still use and you know to me it's always about how can the person be their best selves and do their best work for the organization and not necessarily where they're sitting at or what time they're sitting there and that's with understanding that all jobs are different so there are jobs where you can't work from home or you know things like that but 
I think generally when we have these type of conversations, we're talking about kind of like your predominantly office-based jobs and um, how employers are going to have to adjust post-crisis. What scares me about that, though, is that I feel like most organizational leaders are just looking to get back to what it was before mm -hmm. and are not thinking at all um, with any sort of intention about what are we learning from this and how can we use this to be better, to give our people more flexibility, to give our people more work-life balance, um, you mm -hmm. know, what have we learned that can move our culture forward to better align with where we as an organization want to go. I think everybody, I just think a lot of leaders are still fighting the change um, that this is inevitably going to bring about. And ultimately, I think that's going to end up harming organizations and harming our economy more than if we would just um, accept that we, we're not going back. Like, this is how things are going to be for a good while. And so we got to figure out how we operate successfully within this as the new paradigm instead of fighting so hard to get back to what used to whether whether it was effective or not right. and that's kind of what scares me about it is that i think we're i don't know that leaders are at the point yet where they're thinking about you know not doing the same thing not just going back to the same way yeah i will share an example and i have to find i still don't think we know the companies um, but there's been a couple of surveys that have been sent out by companies, employee surveys, where they're asking employees, what would it take to make you feel safe to come back? I'm getting kind of feedback, which um, I thought was, you know, very, both kind of inclusive um, and I think, you know, kind of human-centered to do. Mm -hmm. What I have seen... Um, being in the nonprofit sector is I have seen leaders look at what does this mean for our uh, member base? Mm -hmm. you know, so they're reacting to the changes that the crisis has caused for their external stakeholders, but not really focusing on the employees the as internal. much. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah. might be true for, I'm sorry, Sarah, go ahead. Oh, no, and I was going to jump and add to what Elena said. I think organizations right now are afraid to ask employees the question. Like, I don't think that organizations are taking this opportunity to survey and ask their employee populations what they want and what they need and what they would like to see be different when they come back because they're not prepared to respond. And so, and that's pretty typical, you know, when we don't want to know the answers or we don't want to have to do the thing and we just don't ask the question and then we don't even have to worry about what that's going to do but I think the best organizations and the ones that are really embracing the opportunities within this are going to be the ones that do stuff like that. And I think the the I don't say cool thing but with social media now we're going to hear more of those stories and we're hearing them faster so the people that are doing it right, um, it's going to be clear because their employees, I think, will be talking about it. The, the, I, I heard about those uh, the surveys too, Elena, um, and, and those people, those those companies are going to be successful. And the ones that try to go back to normal, the ones that are laying people off via email or recorded Zoom call, yeah, we're going to find out who you are. Yeah, 
There's no holding back now. There's no secrets. I saw someone post the other day that going forward, any interview they're in, they're going to ask, how did you treat your employees during the coronavirus? Mm-hmm. Right. That's one of your your questions, like yeah. uh, like wh- how what happened, and I think yeah. it's a it's a very relevant thing because it's going to tell you a lot about the culture of the organization and how they treat their people and who you want to work there. Yeah, which I think is a great segue to our next question, um, which is um, just so the question is, what is leaderships and HR's role in breaking down barriers for historically underrepresented women? And I I would love if we could expand on that a little bit, right? Like what's, what is our role in breaking down those barriers, especially today, especially given the crisis that we're in? And then, um, you know, to Sarah's point, what's it gonna look like when we get, um, when the crisis ends and we have to create a new normal? Um, what, what should we be doing to break down those barriers? I think, I think the, go ahead, go ahead, Tamara. Oh, I think the issue is that what HR has to do is the thing that we've not done consistently when it comes to underrepresented groups of people, and that is actively advocate. Um, We still, in so many organizations, are afraid to call out the actual lack of representation of people from marginalized groups, whether that is women of color, men of color, mm-hmm. and even within of color, you can have, you know, you have different races and um, ethnicities and nationalities of people, and we're still not talking about it. So the first thing that has to happen is we have to, you know, call that out and just be super intentional about saying, hey, where are, where are, where is this demographic of people? Organizations should be reflective of the communities in which they live and so if you are if you live in the city that's 40 percent brown and your office ain't 40 percent brown you got a problem a serious right. serious problem and then the other piece um that i wanted to make sure that i said because i wrote down notes i'm trying to be responsible um is oh yes one of the things that i wanted to make sure that i pointed out is is the importance of women in leadership. If you look internationally, globally, at what's going on with this pandemic, the countries that have women in charge are the ones that are doing the best at flattening their curve and making sure people have food, proper shelter, proper medical care, proper access to, you know, sanitary things so they can wash their hands. They mm-hmm. are not, they don't have no fools out in the street protesting about open up the hair cuttery and okay. the fur ruckers. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's not happening. So that's what happens when women lead right. and we can't lose sight of that. So I just want to okay. make sure I threw that in there too. Absolutely. Excellent point there. I say um, kind of just to piggyback on that, I feel like HR's role is to provide information and guidance to the leadership in the areas that they aren't addressing. Mm. So like Sarah said, you know, speak up on these things that we see and know are issues, but no one's talking about them. Like we have to be the ones 
because there's a lot of things that we as HR professionals know that is going on in the organization that the leadership is completely unaware of. And it could be intentional because they don't want to see it, or it could be, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> I live in the hood, y'all. Um, <laughs> it could be intentional or it could be unintentional, but a lot of times leaders, unless someone brings it to them, they're just going to keep doing the same old thing. So like I've had to even address with managers for interns, like, why do you keep going to these same schools to get your interns? Like, you need to reach out to other schools with other types of populations to get these interns. So, you know, we kind of have to be, like you said, the advocate um, for other groups because otherwise it'll just continue to be business as usual. And pay your interns. Pay your interns. That one. That one. Please pay your yeah. interns. Thank you. So like Oof. if you can't afford to pay them, you shouldn't be trying to have. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Because otherwise you just get interns who can afford to take a summer without pay. And you shut That's out right. a, whole, a whole group of people who right. need that experience. Need the, and need like, that paycheck. The experience and the money. Exactly. Amen. <laughs> what was that, Elena? <laughs> That's... The experts took the floor. I give them the space to move on to the next question. <laughs> oh, that was that was just yeah. I, I, I've I've been reading about some of the the women leaders. You know, um, New Zealand's um, prime minister. I'm at girl crush, <laughs> total girl crush because she is she's knocking it out of the ballpark. And man love to be living um, in a country under a woman like that. It's amazing what competence can do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the, are we ready for a woman leader? Oh my God. We, you know. Yes. Yes. Yes, we are. We are. Yeah. Like Look where we, we are. are under We've been ready. <laughs> we are. We've been ready. Yeah. Definitely. The rest of the world is leaving us in the dust. We've been ready. Mm -hmm. We've been ready. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Um, so, you know, we've, we really didn't, when we first planned this, like, obviously we're in a completely different place, um, yeah. you know, but I, I love that we can still share those stories and, and share the, that information and, and the back and forth, which is, which is fantastic. Um, and and I, I, I was trying to find it again. Somebody put it out on Twitter where, you know, we're not all in the same boat. We're all in the same river. Mm -hmm. We're all, you know, we're all in that same river, but we all have different resources. Some of us are in really nice boats. Some of us are in smaller boats and some of, some people are just hanging on to a rock mm. or a, a log for, for dear life. Um, so knowing that that's, that's going on out there and we have people, we have some people working from home. We have some people who still have to go to, to Walmart to work, to McDonald's to work. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, we need them to do that because we all still need to eat. Um, so how can leaders and HR pros respond and support all of our people coming from all these different places um, to make sure that we come out on the other side healthy and hopefully better? 
hopefully better mm -hmm. when we're done. Yeah. I think for, for our people who still have to go to work, and those are people in all different sectors. I know people who work in office jobs and their offices are like, no, y'all still got to come in, but they're doing it in like shifts or something yeah. like that. So it's not See as that. many people. Um, it's key for the employers to provide those people with all of the resources they need to be safe while they're going to work. So like, for example, my daughter works for works in a homeless shelter so she's deemed essential because they have to keep the shelters open and they didn't start giving them gloves and masks and stuff until there was a lot of backlash for employers mm -hmm. who are not giving their employees these things um so that's one of the key things is like if you need us to come into work you need to protect our health just the same as if there wasn't a, a pandemic but there's a, a spill on the floor and you have to mop it up and put the little sign over it to protect people from falling you have to protect people to the best of your ability from getting this virus so to me it's really important for employers to understand that the people who work for them are not just you know it replaceable cogs that you know if you don't work out you know, if you get sick, we'll hire somebody else. If you die, somebody else. Like you really need to, to focus on the physical and mental health of the people who are working for you, people who you may have had to lay off, people who will be your future employees. Because like you said before, people are looking at all of these employers. I might not work for you now, but I'm looking at what you're doing. And if I thought I might wanted to work for you, you know, how you're acting right now is really going to, gonna have a say so in that so i think protecting your employees who are still having to go to work you know whether it's the grocery store whether it's the bus drivers whatever it is that's key for all employers there's no excuse to me for you know to me if you don't have the the personal protection equipment then that you shouldn't be calling people into work like mm -hmm. it should not fall on the employee to have to bring their own masks and gloves and stuff like you know, you have to be a responsible employer. It's definitely a reevaluation of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs in every part of this candidate and employee experience, right? It's really getting back to the basics to like, do we have the safety protection? Are we physically, you know, doing everything we can to keep our employees out of harm's way? Mm -hmm. And once you can get that base, you can go up, but we're having to do that for everything. Right. And, and what's so unfortunate are things like providing employees the protective equipment that they need it should just be table stakes. Right. Like that's this right. shouldn't even be a conversation. Um, but what I find, you know, in, in pieces where I know employers paid little attention to the safety and well-being certainly has been in kind of the layoff and furlough situations. I'm mm -hmm. actually seeing a lot of companies step up to be as supportive um, and understanding and humane as possible. So, you know, for example, I think it was like Hilton, for example, who, you know, has had to let go of a lot of people, mm -hmm. but worked really hard to get up kind of a resource site, making sure, okay, this is where we know it is hiring. This is where you can get access to other resources, et cetera, et cetera. And so they are trying to connect the dots for those employees. I think within the same spirit of, 
you know, we know we've had to make this decision, but how can we make sure we're at least, mm -hmm. you know, getting you, um, you know, at least to some sort of stability. So that in, has been encouraging to see for some companies, um, you know, who are certainly taking that. And then I think to the point of mental health and well-being, for those of us who are at home um, or, you know, have colleagues who are on the front lines, I think what I've seen really beautiful in that is ways in which um, we are honoring, we are showing gratitude, we are acknowledging, we are shining light on those, on those workers and employees um, because they're doing it absolutely, yes, it's, it's for a paycheck. They very much rely on this. Um, but for them to feel honored um, and for them to see that uh, we are um, you know, helping them find meaning in their work I have found to also be, I think, very encouraging um, when I've seen, you know, employee groups really step up uh, to support, elevate, and hype up the, the folks on the front lines right now. I love all But just of to that. jump back really quickly, um, because your original question, I think, was like, what's the responsibility of HR and the leadership? And I just wanted to point out that Unfortunately, HR and leadership aren't always together <laughs> in the movements that they want to bring forth. And it made me think of it when Elena was talking about furloughs and layoffs, because I know people who work in HR who very much would have liked to have done that for their employees differently than the leadership. Mm -hmm. The leadership is like, look, we got 300 people to lay off, send them a note and keep it moving. And I have had peers like crying and being emotional like I wouldn't have wanted to do it like that like you know but at some point one thing that I don't know if people don't understand it don't realize it or they don't want to HR isn't the most powerful entity in the organization you know yeah. so at some point it it doesn't always come down to us but we definitely want to make sure that in the areas that it does we're doing everything that we can to make the experience, you know, from start to finish and back again, uh, positive. And yeah, I think, go ahead. <laughs> oh, ha! I just say, you know, control, control your controllables is the thing mm -hmm. that it always comes back to mm -hmm. for me. To Tamara's point, like we, in, in HR, we don't always have the ability to, you know, make the final decision and do things necessarily the way that we want to. Um, but there are things that are within our control of, of you know how we handle things um we fortunately you know i'm i was fortunate to survive the furloughs at my organization and i was able to have a lot of voice in terms of how we handled um those sorts of things and in the letters that we sent to the employees and stuff like that and there were some things that they were like oh do we really need to put that in there oh yeah we really do you know mm -hmm. and, this is, and, and and then it's my name on it so i'm this is what's going in there so when you have those opportunities to take control and to take the reins and take the lead in a place where you may you know not normally have voice and be able to have that kind of impact then just make sure you see those kinds of moments another um, area that i've seen and I've, i know people who have been furloughed and layoffs are you know complaining about is with the unemployment mm -hmm. claims a lot of the um sites have become very difficult to get into um and then you know the responses like they're depending on their employer to respond so regardless of whether if you're working from home whatever like you got to make sure that you make time to check the websites and 
make sure you go to your office, get your mail, just make sure that you are responding to that because people are dependent on those benefits. So don't be a further hindrance um, to that, you know, by, by not responding timely because of your own stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree. The last thing I've just seen done really well, I mean, it's, it's transparency and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a rise and I hope one that continues of the beauty of a vulnerable leader. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a leader who can step up and say, yeah, I know things are, are really shitty right now. And what I'm going to have to do right now is horrible. Um, and there's that just a level of emotion and connection and relatability um, that employees are seeking. And, you know, I know that folks can say what they will about Marriott because there's been some good and some negative things. But one of the first things that, um, you know, their CEO did at the beginning was, hey, you know what, I, I want to send a, a, a very informal, vulnerable video message to 100,000 of, of my colleagues. And his, his executive around him didn't think that that was a good idea. This is a man who just mm-hmm. come out of chemo. He doesn't look really good. And he said, I don't care. He said, my employees need to see me in my face. They need to see that I am in here with them. And so I'm going to move forward. And, you know, coming from, you know, my best friend, her, basically her entire family works at Marriott out in Chicago. And, uh, you know, they had been furloughed. But when, you know, my, my friend asked them, hey, you know, what do you think about, you know, your CEO? They're like, yeah, isn't he great? I mean, really, I mean, people, people connect and even despite that there is, you know, a lot of, you know, things that are happening, um, we, I think, can both show empathy and understanding to leaders who are equally showing us that level of empathy and understanding ourselves. Yeah. And we're seeing that happen. And, it, and I, I get really excited to see that there are leaders who are doing that. Yeah. I think that makes a difference too. I think people will um, are going to be much more forgiving to those organizations, even if they have some missteps, if they have that that vulnerability. Um, I, I yeah, I remember seeing that video, and it was just like, yeah, that's more leaders need to do that. We need to get out of this idea that um, our leaders need to have all of the answers all of the time. They need to get out of that idea because I think that keeps them from communicating. Yes. Because they're like, I don't know. So I just won't say anything. Mm-hmm. Say anything. And then you have your whole company like, well, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And I think, you know, leaders need to understand that they are people too. Like, yeah. The more humane and human that you behave and act to your staff, the more they will see you that way. Yeah. It's when you try to put yourself up on a pedestal is when people don't care, you know, don't see you as a person. They see you as, oh, that's that person up there. So, you know, you see it all the time where there's people who's like, if something bad happens to a celebrity and they're like, I don't care, they're a celebrity because they put them, you know, up here where it's like, they're a human being as well. But because they see them in a different light, they don't have the same level of empathy. I think it's super important for leaders in the organizations that we work in to not try to put themselves on a pedestal in front of their teams and really say, you know, I'm here with you. I'm here to help you. It's like, you know, I might make a lot more money than you, but, (laughs) but, you know, you know, just not put themselves at a different level. So they're not relatable because when you're not relatable, people tune you out. 
And I think that goes back to, we were talking earlier about how that's going to be an interview question in the future, right? What did your company do during the, the coronavirus crisis? And the answer isn't about like, oh, we didn't have to lay anybody off. Like companies can be forgiven for having to furlough people. We understand that that's business, but how you did it, how you treated your employees, how leadership showed that empathy and that vulnerability, that's what people are looking for, right? Like, did you share a really vulnerable video with everyone and really talk about, you know, and then back that up with some action to try and take the best care you could? That's what people mm -hmm. are looking for. I mean, sure, people are looking for like, could I keep my job? But we understand that's, that just, that may not be possible, but there's mm -hmm. the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the same whether you're you're laying off one person or a thousand people. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure, for sure. I could listen to you all talk all night. Um, yeah, maybe we should just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could. I really wish we could. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to move us on to the next question. Um, so networking is core to HR Wonder Woman, right? Um, so we're going to kind of pivot to a networking question. So who is someone from an underrepresented group that you've started following in the past year that we all need to know about? Such a tough question. It is. There's so many good people. I made a list, so I'll run. I'll That's do, good. I'll do Say all of them, and then I'll I'll pick one. It'll of them. trigger. Yeah, it'll <laughs> trigger everybody else's stuff. So one, um, some of them are from Instagram. Some of them are Twitter and Instagram. Um, the Liberate app is one. I also downloaded that. It's a meditation app for people of color, by people of color. Um, but it's a lot of great free meditation content um it has been really helpful for me dealing with anxiety and, and insomnia and all of that um as i've been going through this so i and they do inspirational posts and things on instagram as well so i love them fearless and formidable on instagram um she is actually a consultant that works with black women about advancing their careers and finding their voice in the corporate world but she also does daily like inspirational and informational quotes um posts and it's hilarious she's very engaging with her audience and i just love um that account to death um dr uche blackstock is another mm -hmm. one that i follow on instagram and twitter um she had pivoted out of practicing medicine in order to do more consulting on health disparities but because of COVID she is now back to practicing and she's been posting a lot about what she's seen in New York um, on the on the front lines of dealing with all of that so that's been really interesting. Um, Kezia Williams, K-E-Z-I-A, she runs a company called The Black Upstart which helps entrepreneurs get themselves you know up and running but during this time she's been focusing most of her content on teaching people how to budget and save and even invest when coins are a little bit lower and so i've really been and she does an instagram live i think on sundays that talks um specifically and she takes questions out of the comment section so and she's just really high energy just just a super dope woman so that's another one and then the last one is stakeums 
um, was on my list. <laughs> Listen, Stakeums has been representing. They've been um, on it, yeah. <laughs> I went out and bought a pack of Stakeums just on general purposes because so I was like, they have really been doing well on the Twitters. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed following them, and that that's those are my that's my list. That's funny. I did download Liberate after you mentioned it on Facebook, Sarah. I love it. I love oh. the Liberate app. It's so good. Oh, y'all. I got a little co-host. Come on, co-host. I'm a co-host. Go say hi. Say hi to the people. Hi. He <laughs> just woke up. Say hi to the people. It's my co-host. Good? Okay. Um, it's funny because when I saw the question that Wendy had sent, I was going to say Dr. Blackstock as well, but then I thought maybe they wanted us to say people who weren't known that much, and I couldn't really think of anyone, <laughs> I couldn't really think of anyone else. Um, so yeah, those are all, those are all good ones that Sarah gave. <laughs> Authors, Elizabeth mm. Acevedo, amazing. Yeah. Oh, Fire yeah. on High. Yeah. Uh, she's got a, a new book coming out as well. Uh, she was the writer of Poet X, incredible. Um, and Gabby Rivera, uh, mm-hmm. who's um, Puerto Rican, grew up in the Bronx, um, wrote recently, uh, got a lot of acclaim from her book, Juliet Takes a Breath, which I think was a beautiful coming of age story um, of a Puerto Rican lesbian trying to out of the Bronx trying to find herself in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> so I get I'm getting really inspired uh, by those authors. Another one, um, Alice Wong, uh, who is uh, just wrote uh, a book called Disability Visibility, mm-hmm. um, which is talking mm-hmm. about um, disability and include inclusion, etc. And so she's a new voice that, um, that I've you know, recently um, found and I'm, I'm paying attention to when it comes um, to uh, disability and inclusion in those trends. So can y'all email those to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put them in the show notes. Yes, but they will be in the yeah, show notes show for notes. sure. Um, but I probably will say, hey, just make sure I'm spelling these right so I, we can find them. But uh, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, lots of lots of great uh, folks to follow. Um, really excited. Um, so thank you guys for sharing them. Um, always love finding new women to follow. Um, so, you know, to kind of wrap up, one of the things that Ann and I have recently started is, you know, we talk about a lot of heavy stuff on this show and sometimes we can walk away feeling, um, a little down. So our final question is what brings you guys hope? I think we need this now more than ever, quite honestly, this question, but. What brings y'all hope? I think for me, it's been watching people like still be creative in mm. this time. I, you know, shout out to Elena because she's here, but her quarantine and create challenge has been just super fun to watch. Um, I'm finally getting back into the space where I feel ready to create and engage after the first few weeks of just really struggling, you know, with, with feeling a sense of balance and normalcy in the midst of all of this. And so just being able to watch that content and go, hey, I can, I'm going to get there, you know, I'm going to get there um, has been really great. And then I also think in general, watching how supportive 
people have been um, to one another during this has been really hopeful. Just watching people, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, text messages or whatever, like people are being intentional about reaching out, making sure that folks are okay and feeling supportive. And I think that that has been great. And it makes me, you know, hopeful and certainly things that I hope continue as well. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I would say um, hopeful that it won't always take a, a global crisis for people to be good to each other. Because um, I agree with Sarah that, you know, you've seen a lot of kind of coming together and reaching out and, and banding together and understand that, understanding that, you know, this virus doesn't discriminate and all of that type of stuff. But when people aren't getting sick and people are back to their kind of regular lives, I'm, I'm hopeful that these type of sentiments will continue. And also, as we talked about before, that people will, you know, just continue the conversation about mental health awareness and the impact that it has on people and the way that employers can help with that. I'm going to share a quote um, that inspires me uh, from Toni Morrison. Uh, and what she writes is, you know, particularly in moments of dread and uncertainty, this is precisely the time when artists go to work. There's no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do our art, we do language, and that is how civilizations heal. So what gives me hope, what gets me excited, what gets me creative is seeing how artists are really leaning in to their pure communication form to put out something beautiful that gives us forced moments of pause, reflection, and devotions. TikTok so. alone is blowing up. I mean, people are super <laughs> freaking creative yeah. on TikTok. It's like, y'all really need to take that somewhere and get some coins. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Oh, I love that. I, I love that quote. I love Toni Morrison too. Just, oh, it's awesome. Um, uh, yay. So you guys, this was just, oh, so fantastic. Um, so we will definitely do it again in 2021 at Work Human. In person, um, because this is, you know, there's gonna be lots more for us to talk about, which is just, which is fantastic. Um, so I would be, I, I'd find it really hard that if um, people are listening to this, that they haven't, they aren't already following you guys, but just in <laughs> case, <laughs> just in case they aren't, um, who are these people? <laughs> who are these people? Where did you find us anyway? But um, just if you guys want to share one way that people can get in touch with you um, uh, following this, uh, we'll, we'll do alphabetical again. So Elena, if you want to start. It's going to be in the show notes. It you will can be. find me, Valentine, just like the day. Look forward to connecting. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Sarah. Um, I'm the buzz on HR everywhere. So <laughs> just Google that and you'll find me. Awesome. And finally, Tamara. I think probably the easiest place to find me is on Twitter, which is my handle is at TM Raspberry, not like the fruit. There's no P in it. 
Um, <laughs> and then you can link to me everywhere else from there. Also, funny thing, I just noticed that Elena's first name is in her last name. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> Tamara, the things that you kind of things I think about. Y'all better come, Tamara, with a beautiful mind coming through. Oh my gosh. Uh, And how about you? What's the best way for people to find you? Best way to find me is also on Twitter. It's at Ann Tonk, A N N E T O M K. I'm there as much as I'm anywhere. (laughs) Same for me. Um, This is uh, Twitter, is where I found all four of these wonderful women. Um, so Twitter is where I will stay. It is my drug of choice. Um, I'm going to continue to quote, uh, I believe that was Minda Hartz. I can continue to quote her on that. Twitter is my drug <laughs> of choice. Um, I am Wendell93. Um, shout out to uh, Kate Bischoff and Thrive HR for allowing us to use her Zoom account to get this Yay. recording. Thank you, Kate. Appreciate that. Um, and uh, as always, I have to share, please join um, the HR Social Hour uh, hashtag on Twitter. Uh, we, t- we do a scheduled chat the second and fourth Sundays of each month, but lately um, we're doing a lot more. We're doing some movie shows. We're doing some trivia. Um, there's all sorts of fun stuff coming out. So uh, keep an eye on that hashtag as well. Um, so Elena, Sarah, Tamara, and thank you so much. I loved this conversation. This was fantastic. Um, thank you, thanks to everyone who listened. And now it's your turn to go to you.